So, as I shared with you, I've really struggled with this message. It's not what I wanted to preach, but the Lord always knows best. And I, I hope you noticed <clears throat> as we went through the text there, Psalm 100, to me, the key thing here is verse 3, know that the Lord himself is God. To know this changes everything, right? It changes everything in our life. Know that the Lord himself is God. You know, we talked a whole lot last year about reckoning with the magnitude of what it means for God to be God. As John Piper says, most human beings walking the planet never actually deal or reckon with the magnitude of what it means to have a creator. What does that mean? If I have a creator, what are my obligations, right? And to reckon with that and to deal with that and to, to incorporate that into our daily lives and what that looks like as we live these few moments uh, upon the earth, as, as the apostle says. As I was thinking about these things, I, my mind went back to seminary. Uh, when I first arrived, you know, when you first arrive in a new city, you get all these mailings and everybody's soliciting you. And, and I got a mailing from... Uh, uh, a local church, I think it was a new church, and uh, they wanted me to come because they have cool pastors and relevant messages. And the first thought I had was, I wonder why the apostles never thought about this. Why didn't they just, why didn't the apostle Paul just say, hey, I'm a cool pastor and I'm going to give you some relevant messages? Of course, it's ridiculous. Um, you guys have been in the church long enough to know that, one, one, if you have to say you're cool, what, what? That's very uncool to have to say that you're cool. Um, but you, you know what relevant means in the, in the context of, of the church. You know what this means. This means we're going to talk mostly about you. We're not going to talk much about God. We're not going to hold up this, this thrice holy God of Isaiah 6. We're not going to hold him up. You, you, you're never going to feel like you need to tremble before this great God. You, you, you never feel like you should, you know, prostrate yourself before him. You're never going to feel that here. We're going to mostly going to talk about you and how God can serve you, right? That's what relevant means, by and large, in what is called the modern church. How can I use God to make my life better? You know, you can't find this anywhere in Scripture, but this is, the, this is how... This is what much of the modern church has devolved into. How can I use God? You know, the utility of God. How can I use him to have a better marriage or to have a better business or to have uh, uh, greater finances or to have better health or to do X, Y, Z, to have this, to have that? You know, if you actually read your Bibles, you realize, <laughs> you realize um, this is not about what God can do for you. This is about the creature worshiping the Creator and being reconciled to Him through the finished work of His Son. So, sadly, we're all aware that in the modern church, many are seeking to use God. Jesus Christ is simply a peripheral issue. Yes, we use His name. Yes, we talk about Him. But really, I don't love Him. Not really. I don't really love Him. I don't really order my life around his words. What I really want is a blessing. I want a blessing from God. And yeah, teach me how to pray so I can get more stuff from God. Sadly, this is where we are in 
this era. You know, I always love what John MacArthur says. Christianity, Christianity is not a makeover. What is it? You've heard me say this before. It's not a makeover, it's a takeover. This is what much of the modern church has forgotten. We're not just trying to see how God can make our lives better. We're trying to see how to be reconciled to a dreadfully provoked creator. This is what we really need. Of course, we talked quite a lot about that last year. I, I, let me just say this before I move on. Um, Jesus is not interested in being added to your life. That doesn't interest him in the least. That you might acquiesce to add him to your life. Um, that's not what he's looking for. Uh, God has not come in order that his people might use him. Over the years, as you might suspect, some of you could guess, I've been critiqued for many things. One thing I've been critiqued on is too much theology, too much doctrine, okay? Um, you know, my messages apparently to some are not relevant enough, they're not practical enough, although I will say to you that the best way I can love you is to hold up a huge God and demand that you, that you bow before him and demand that you order your life around what he has commanded. That's the most urgently relevant thing I can propose to you. But what is theology? It's just how we think and talk and believe about God. It's, it's, it's how God presents himself in the Bible, right? There's all kinds of false theologies in the world. But biblical theology, it's how Yahweh has presented himself. It's how we think about him, talk about him. It's what we say about him. <clears throat> it's what is true about him, right and worthy thoughts of God. The problem in the modern church is not that we have too much theology, it's that we have too little. John Piper said it well, and I stole this from him many years ago. Some of you have heard it way too many times. Bad theology what? It hurts people. Isn't that simple? Bad. Relevant messages hurt people. If our definition of relevant message is, how can I use God? This hurts people. Bad theology Hurts people. Piper continues, wrong believing leads to wrong living, which finally leads to condemnation. Cool pastors don't ever talk about that. Relevant churches don't talk about that. They just don't. The whole world is awash in bad theology. Um, everything that does not glorify Jesus Christ to the max is bad theology. But you think about it. Everything in human life. Why do people love themselves more than they love God? Why are you more interested in yourself than you are in God? What, what do you think the answer to that is? Bad theology. You don't know who he is, man. You don't know how awesome he is. You don't know how much delight and joy and pleasure you will receive in the relationship. You're, you're more interested in yourself. That's bad theology. And I can take it down the list. It's an endless list. I'll give you a couple of things. Well, why does pseudo-Christianity exist? Bad theology. 
We'll, we'll take a little religion. We really don't want to stand in front of Yahweh, right? Why do people covet and steal? Why do they become addicted to drugs? Why are they unkind? Why do they look at pornography? Why do they live beyond their means? Why do children who know better disrespect their parents? Why do people use pornography? Why do spouses abandon one another? Why do people hoard money and unwilling to be generous? Why do people complain? Why do mothers and fathers abort their children? Why do people fornicate, commit adultery, and engage in homosexuality? It's bad theology. Because if we had a right vision of God, we would be running from these things. We would be running from these things. Bad theology is simply not seeing the biblical God for who He is. And consequently, ordering our life in such a way that He is many times blasphemed. So every yeah, form of human evil, disease, illness, and death, natural disasters, all calamities, it all stems from Genesis chapter 3, us declaring our independence from God. We talked about, it, about that last year. We don't need cool pastors. We don't need relevant messages. We need to see God. You urgently need to look at God, and I urgently need to look at God. <laughs> when I was home at Christmas, I preached, and I said to them, you know, you don't need another feel-good sermon. You don't! And of course, where I was preaching, that he, he, he doesn't preach feel-good sermons. You, you don't need that. You need to see God. You need to look at God. It needs to be your daily habit. I look at God, and I'm in awe, right? I'm in awe of God, and it's real, and I get goosebumps. Now, I don't know if you get goosebumps. I get goosebumps. That's what you and I urgently need. You do not need a cool pastor. Praise God you don't have one. You do not need that. And you just need just what I need to look at God. There's, okay, what's my favorite memory verse? Eleni, do you remember? Ashley, do you remember? Hey, that's a good one. That is a good one, Cheaty. Okay, I give you credit for that. That's a good one. Um, my favorite memory verse is only two words. Who can guess? No, come on. <laughs> I knew you were going to. I knew somebody was going to say that. Rejoice always, First Thessalonians five sixteen. That's why we're in Psalm one hundred. God calls His people to rejoice always. That means we know that the Lord is God, Psalm one hundred. Therefore, our hearts are full of joy and thankfulness. Right. Yeah, we may have a lot of problems, a lot of temporal issues, some of them serious. We may be in the midst of a great trial and tribulation. But I know that the Lord is God. And I know that that engenders joy and delight in my soul. Even in the hardest circumstance. Even in the hardest circumstance. I love, I love how Paul talked about it to Timothy. You know, he, called, he calls Yahweh the blessed God. What, is it, what does blessed mean? What does it mean? The happy God, the happy God. Psalm 100 is an expression of, of, of someone who's in relationship with Yahweh, right? Uh, a regenerate man who's in relationship with God, right? He can't, he can't shout his, his, his joy loud enough in 
the world. John Piper says about Psalm 100, you're going to like this. The infinitely happy God is calling his happy people to happy worship. And that's what I'm calling you to in 2022. I didn't understand it at first. I said, Lord, I want to preach this other stuff. He said, no, you go preach this because this is what I want to say to my people. Come to me in happy worship. This is how I want us to, to think as we begin the new year. Coming before God in happy worship. Verse 1, Psalm 100. Shout joyfully to the Lord all the earth. Okay, when's the last time you shouted joyfully to the Lord? Well, some of you say, well, I, I don't think I've done it audibly in some time, but this is really not the point. The point is that your life should shout. Your life shouts, right? Your life shouts this reality. Sometimes it's, it's audible, and sometimes we have to say it. Sometimes it's in our songs, right? But what we're really talking about is, 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 is a life that shouts joyfully. Shouts joyfully to the Lord who is king of the whole earth. And can I just interject? If you're bored with Jesus, you probably never met him. I, I, I think I can say it. You've never met him. If you're bored with him, you've never met him. You've never really met him. Now, you, you may have done some religious thing in his name, but if you are bored with him... People who know Christ, they understand about shouting joyfully. They get it. Even if they're, you know, in a difficult spot, they get that. I get that. Sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as the Apostle Paul says. <clears throat> I get that. And I understand that. And did you notice, this is not a suggestion. This is not a recommendation. What is it? What is it? It's a command. All the people who say they love God in Christ shout joyfully to the Lord. Okay? And he actually commands the whole earth to do this here, right? And we'll talk in just a moment how the whole earth is in fact doing this. But this is a soulish shout. It doesn't have to be audible. But the greatness of Yahweh demands a shout. It demands a shout of worship. So seriously, how can I preach too much theology? How can you preach too much of Christ? How can you do it? I mean, I've had people say, you, can, you know, you need to back off the, the doctrine. You need to back off the theology. And I, hey, if you don't like theology, don't come here. We're going to talk about God. We're going to look at God. I want you to have a better marriage, but I'm not going to stand up here and preach every week how you can have a better marriage and how you can have better health and wealth and prosperity. I'm not going to. And if that's what you're interested in, I don't think, principally if that's what you're interested in, I don't think you've actually understood what it means to be a member of the body of Christ. He is our highest pursuit, our highest desire, our highest pleasure. Not these temporal blessings. Praise God. He gives, he's a gracious God and He gives many blessings. But we do not love the blessing over the one who has <clears throat> given them. How could I preach too much theology? I mean, how's that possible? It's not possible. <laughs> it's just not possible. 
So we see here this shout. It's a shout of praise and joy and happiness and love and fullness and satisfaction and victory and contentment and excitement and astonishment and amazement. And here's my, my favorite one, the last one. And a shout of anticipation of all that God has prepared for us. Man, this is over real soon. We're all passing through. It's going to be over. You know, I told you I checked my Social Security uh, life expectancy not too long ago. I got 14 more years, man. If the U.S. government's correct. And we all know how, how fast 14 years is going to go. Bam! It's going to be over. <coughs> We're out of here. You and I are out of here. But we have this, this joy of anticipation. We're looking at God. We're considering God. We're thinking about God. We're delighting in God. It's what Psalm 100 is all about. This is what I want you. This is what I, I think God wants for us in 2022, that this is our priority, that we, we not only, you know, read and preach through um, Psalm 100, but we understand the command. And we're pursuing that. We're pursuing what... That means. So can I just say this? If you don't have even the vague inclination of a shout in your so-called Christian life, I just lovingly say, go home, do some business with God. You're not doing it right. Whatever you're doing, you're not doing it right. You say, Jim, my life's hard right now. Hey, life is off and on pretty hard. That's not what I'm talking about. Can you, look through the, can you look through the difficulty and you see the greatness of your God and the greatness of your salvation and the greatness of your inheritance? And be ready to shout joyfully to the Lord? <laughs> it didn't take me long to figure out why he wanted me to preach this. <laughs> okay, So um, I think it's what he wants for us in this new year. It's interesting that this word shout here used in Psalm 100 is the same Hebrew word used in Joshua 6.16. Remember the Lord said, how did they bring the walls down? Remember the Jews were, the Exodus Jews were marching around Jericho with the what? With a shout. There's a lot of power in the shout of God's people. And again, we're we're not just simply talking about screaming or, as, as we would say in Arkansas, hollering. You know, we're talking about a lifestyle, right? There's just a ton of power in it, man, right? God is magnified. Joshua said, shout for the Lord has given you the city, right? And we shout because the Lord has given us the kingdom, Luke 12, 32. God has given us every good thing. Say, so, Jim, I don't have every good thing yet. Well, that's, you know, it's coming. <laughs> it only gets better. It only gets better forever. There's never an end to every good thing that God has prepared for us. And let me just say this. If it's a chore for you to come to church, you're doing it wrong. Okay? If, if it's a chore for you, to, to obey Christ out in the world, you're doing it wrong. You're not understanding what biblical Christianity is. You know, God has made this radical overture to us. And if you read the Bible, you realize that true believers respond radically. We respond to this radical overture 
with radical obedience. And so you can't hold down a true believer. You can't hold him, him or her down. He or she will obey with glad, as Oswald Chambers says, glad, reckless joy, right? Glad, reckless joy. You know, I've heard theologians say, well, how can God command joy? How can he command it? Because he gives it. That's how he can command it. How can God command uh, an emotion from us? Because he gives it as he reveals himself to us. C.S. Lewis is right. <clears throat> Christians are to be seriously joyful and joyfully serious. I just love that. I love that quote. And, of course, the text says, verse 1, all the earth. You guys know the, the Psalms. I won't give you all the references. If you want them, email me. I'll send them to you. Psalm 19, Psalm 93, 96, and 98. These are a few excerpts. The heavens are what? Telling the glory of God, right? The floods lift up their voice. The heavens are glad. The earth rejoices. The sea and all it contains roars. The field and all that is in it exalts. The trees sing for joy. The world roars. The rivers clap. The mountains sing for joy before the Lord. Yeah, the whole created order is shouting to the Lord of all the earth. So, you feel it out there sometimes, right? And if we weren't so dull, we would feel it all the time. But sometimes you feel, you feel God's glory out there, right? We feel it. We know he's there. We know he's a genius. We know he's beautiful. We can just, we can look at the, his handiwork. And it just makes us want to shout. Why do people go to, Grand, to the Grand Canyon, as Piper says? Not for self-esteem. They go to the Grand Canyon because they want to feel awe and immensity. We all have this hunger in our own hearts, right? For awe and immensity. And it's, his, name is, his name is Yahweh. So, shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. We know that, again, creation is doing this, and we know that redeemed mankind will do it forever. All you've got to do is go read Revelation 7-9. I won't read it to you. But every nation, uh, tongue, and tribe will, will, will stand before the throne clothed in white robes and they will cry with a loud voice to the glory of God and to the Lamb. So this is going to happen. We'll see it happen. <clears throat> you say, well, Jim, the whole earth is not, is not, uh, is not sh sh shouting joyfully to the Lord, but we will see it happen. We will see it happen as he dispenses with the, the old heaven and old earth and he brings in the new heaven and new earth, it will be fulfilled. Verse 2, serve the Lord with gladness, <clears throat> come before him <clears throat> with joyful singing. Gladness. It's the only reasonable response. <laughs> yes, it's Matthew 1344, right? The guy that found the treasure in the field. I tell you this all the time. And from religious duty, he went and bought the field, right? Is that how it goes? From joy, he went and bought the field. Christ being the, the field, the metaphor there. Um, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful 
singing. Joy appears about 200 times in the Bible. The word gladness appears about 150 times. This is the hallmark of true Christianity. Again, Matthew 13, 44. It's the fruit of biblical theology. Okay, you can tell a dead church from a live church. You can tell you can tell a church is preaching, you know, I'm okay, you're okay, and it's all about you. And you can tell a church is preaching the glory of Yahweh. You can see it in the countenance of their people. You can see it in the lives of their people, right? You can see it. <clears throat> you can see the fruits of what it means to look at God in all of his fullness. And this is why I write. You know, I don't write so people go buy my book. People don't buy my books. Nobody buys my books. But I write because for me, it's a discipline. It's a discipline to look at God. It makes me look at God. That's the only reason I write. You need to find your discipline, whatever it is. So you're always looking at God. You don't go, you're not going much past, you know, 24 hours and not taking a long look at God. Because he, as one theologian said, he makes your problems just the right size. You know what I mean? When you look at God, you know, this huge problem you think you have with your marriage or your business or your finances or whatever, your career, you know, it just, it becomes the right size. You look at King Jesus and you look at your problem and you realize, hey, this is not really that big because my real problem, my ultimate problem has been resolved in Christ Jesus and he's giving me the kingdom. So it's, it's, you know, it's perspective. I hope that part of what this sermon is this morning is perspective for you as you fully get into 2022. I know we're into almost February. That's my bad. But um, I pray that this is something we will think about and <clears throat> consider. So we don't serve the Lord because we ought to. We serve the Lord because we love Him. And He has brought joy into our cold, dead hearts. This is what he has done. You know, you know he, he's not interested in half-hearted worship. You know that. We, he hates that. He hates lukewarm worship. He, he, he's not interested in that. He doesn't want that. Don't even come to God with that. It'd be better for you to just go play golf than to come in here with, Luke, with a Luke, lukewarm heart. He's not interested. He's simply not interested. I, I got to share this quote with you from Piper. I've always loved this. Listen to this. Our Heavenly Father's heart is full of deep and unshakable happiness. And we may be sure that when we seek our happiness in Him, we will not find Him out of sorts. We will not find a frustrated, gloomy, irritable Father who wants to be left alone. But instead, a Father whose heart is so full of joy, it spills over onto all of those who are thirsty. Try and stop me from looking at God and delighting in God. Try and stop me. You know, I've often said this, and I believe it's true. If I did not have Christ, I'm sure I would be dead. I had a lot of self-destructive kind of things <clears throat> in my life and thoughts. And I'm almost positive if God had not saved me at 28, I would definitely be dead. That's just how I feel about it. I'm not a prophet, but I believe that it would have been so. 
I love what Charles Spurgeon says, talking about this great God. There's no fiction in our songs. You know, when we come in here and we sing to, to the Lord, right? <clears throat> There's no fiction in our songs. There is no fiction. I love that. Verse 3. Okay, here we go. To me, the core of the, of the psalm. No. Do you know? Do you? I'm not talking about did you get baptized. I'm not talking about did you pray the prayer. I'm asking you, do you know that the Lord himself is God? Do you know it? Do you know that to such a degree that it changes how you do everything else? Is that reality so real to you, right? That it informs and impacts everything else in your life. Do you know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. I love that, right? We know we're created. Unless we're a knucklehead, a PhD knucklehead at the university, right? You know, thinking people realize there has to be an adequate first cause. We get that. So who is the first cause? Who or what is the first cause? There's only one on the scene. There's only one on the world stage. Jesus Christ. For all things were created by him and through him and in him, right? I think that's Colossians 1 something, 16. A paraphrase maybe. You know, why is Genesis under such attack in the world? Satan knows. If you take createdness away from mankind, he tends, as C.S. Lewis says, to lark about. If you take, if he's just an uncreated accident, if he's a grown-up germ, right? He's not accountable to anybody. I'll do whatever I want. I'm my highest authority. You can't tell me what to do. <laughs> right? I'll do whatever I please. But if we're convinced that we're from the good hand of God, immediately, immediately we understand authority. We understand power. Right? And we understand that we are accountable. This is why... Secular schools teach your children nonsense when it comes to origins because they want to steal that from them. So your job as a parent is to ensure that they understand the truth. You know, as a Christian or as a pastor for a number of years now, I get this sense from some folks, you know, they just kind of want to know what the minimum required is. And I think this is another reason the Lord sent me to Psalm 100. You know, what is the minimum required? Yeah, I want to be a Christian, but what is the minimum required? Oh, if I just pray the prayer and I get baptized, um, some church attendance, I'm good? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. You have to know that the Lord himself is God and then order yourself accordingly. Order your life accordingly. That's what real Christians do. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. So you can't do verse 1 of Psalm 100 unless you know the Lord himself is God. You won't do it unless you know that the Lord himself is God. If you know he is God, you will shout joyfully to the Lord. You'll do it. If you know you're created and you find your salvation in Christ, you will shout joyfully to the Lord. You'll serve the Lord with gladness, and you'll come before Him with joyful singing. It's what you'll do in 2022. I think that rhymes. 
Beloved, this is what you need to be reminded of as you enter the new year. It's what I need to be reminded of as I enter the new year. This is why I don't do culturally relevant sermonettes. You've heard me say it before. Sermonettes make what? Sermonettes make Christianettes, and they're no good for anything. They're, they're good for filling a seat in the, in the church, but they're no good for anything as far as the kingdom of God is concerned, right? They are no good for anything. We don't do sermonettes. They beget Christianettes who always waste their lives. So we come in here, we look at God. We're always going to look at God, you know, the hard edges along with the beautiful aspects. All that the Bible has to say, we're going to look at God. Who else is going to tell you about God? Nobody but a Bible-believing church. A Bible-believing church is the only place you can hear the truth about God. It's the only place. No other place can you go to hear the truth. And when we get an expansive view of God, we learn how to live an expansive life of faith. And you can't live the Hebrews 11 faith without an expansive view of a great and awesome and, yeah, incredibly beautiful God. So every time you come in here, I'm going to push you. I'm going to push you right into the presence of God and see what you do with Him. You know, I have to answer to the Lord. I get to, when I stand before the Lord, He's going to say, you know, if I'm one of those cool pastors with relevant messages, He might say to you something like, well, why didn't you tell them I was awesome? Why didn't you tell them I was worthy to live for and worthy to die for? Why didn't you tell them that I bring the greatest joy and pleasure that is possible within the human heart and soul? Why didn't you tell them? Why didn't you tell them that Psalm 100 is is, is is, is doable because I am who I am. Why didn't you tell them? Right? So, you know, I have some accountability here. <clears throat> so I want to, I want to be faithful. Let me go real quick to John 8. You know the text. You don't need to turn there. 31 and 32. Jesus said, if you abide in my word, good theology, then you, will, then you are truly my disciple and you shall know the truth, good theology, and the truth, good theology, shall make you free. Some of you are not free. Not really. Not ultimately. All, we all struggle with you know, certain issues. Jesus is promising, promising freedom here. We're free to shout joyfully to the Lord. We're free to serve the Lord with gladness. We're free to come before Him with joyful singing. Again, what I want to say is this is a lifestyle. It is a lifestyle. The Lord has made us and not we ourselves we don't believe in fairy tales I don't care how many PhDs write how many books about you know you read Hawking's book The Grand Design is, is that the one and I love what John Lennox says about it <laughs> he says nonsense is nonsense even when spoken by world class scientists I don't have to tell you that God is your creator. You already know it. Romans 1 says you know it. You've always known it. You've always known you have a creator. You've always known it. You may, you know, stupidly deny it, but you've always known it. It's written on your heart. And you will answer to your creator if you do not honor him with your life. 
We are, what's the text say? The sheep of his pasture. Psalm 23 kicks in, right? Psalm 23 kicks in. Yeah. Go read Psalm 23. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. Now, are you a complainer? Are you? Yes, you are because you're a human being. I know this about you. I mean, maybe you're really holy. I don't know. But don't you hate it when you find yourself complaining? Because really, complaining, complaining is always, it's always a jab at the sovereign providence of God in your life. It's always a jab at Him. It just always is. We all tend to focus on the three things that are not perfect in our lives instead of focusing on the million things that are. So this is a call to thankfulness, right? As one theologian called it, he, 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 says, he says God is calling us to thanks living. I love that. Thanks living. We're called to thanks living. It's how we live. It's, it's, our, it's the... It's the ambience of our life. It's the aura or, or, or the aroma of our life. We are thankful people. Yeah, we're dealing with some problems, but we are thankful for all that God has done. You know, it's why Paul says in Romans chapter 1 that man will be judged. Why? He's thankless. Why is the unbeliever judged? One reason, he is thankless. He does not thank God for the for his brain firing one more time. Listen, if we got down to that degree, if we got down to that, that level of thankfulness because the, you know, the, um, the, the antibodies working against the cancerous cell or whatever, if we get down to that degree, you know, the brain's firing, the diaphragm's working. If we're down to that degree, if we're down to the cell level, how many cells do you have in your body? I used to know this number. I don't know what it is anymore. If we're down to that level, you cannot begin to count how good God is to you. Go look it up. Go Google it. Somebody Google it. How many cells do we have in our body? It's a lot. It's a lot. I like what Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 4 here. He says, enter, enter with the password, thank you, exclamation point. Make yourselves at home, talking praise, thank God Worship God. That's what, this is why we're in Psalm 100 for our first Sunday together in worship. And let me just give you a quick quiz and we'll, we'll finish this up. But, you know, we see here that we are to praise God. Okay, I've made a lot of this in the past. See if any of you can remember. What is the implicit invitation of God when he commands us to praise him? Anybody remember? What is the implicit invitation? When you, see, when you see the command in the scripture to praise God, what is, what is, it, what is he saying? I've said this to you a lot. You need to review it, obviously. God is saying, come and enjoy me. This is C.S. Lewis's point, right? Um, praise is the consummation of joy. So anytime you see God commanding that he be praised, he's... One thing he's saying is, come 
and enjoy me. Verse 5, For the Lord is good, His loving kindness is everlasting, and His faithfulness to all generations. I hope you saw the, the pattern here in, in Psalm 100. You probably didn't. Uh, I didn't either until somebody pointed it out to me. Uh, verses 1 and 2, a call to worship. Why? Because our God is God. He's the Creator, and we know it. Verse 3, right? We know it. Verse 4 is a call to worship. Why? Verse 5, because God is good, loving, merciful, and faithful. Seriously? We preach too much theology? I don't think so. I don't think so. We must preach theology because an unknown God can neither be trusted, served, nor worshipped. If you are not looking at God, you cannot be faithful to what He has called us to do. So we must work hard to know who He says He is from Scripture. We must know that He is Yahweh, the Creator God, Psalm 100, verses 1 and 2. We must know that He has created a covenant people, Psalm 100, verse 3. We must know that He is good, loving, merciful, and faithful, Psalm 100, verse 5. We are supposed to know this, and then we are supposed to live this out with a lifestyle shout. A lifestyle shout. Your coworkers know it. Your spouse knows it. Your kids know it. Your neighbors know it. Everybody knows it. Because it's coming off your life. It's coming off your life. Bad theology hurts people. Biblical theology liberates people. True believers are not interested in using God. We're too busy enjoying God. We are so in love with Him that we radiate that reality. This is why... The Lord required me to preach Psalm 100 to you this morning. We join the heavens, the floods, the earth, the sea, and all it contains, the fields and all that is in it, the trees and the world, the rivers and the mountains that we are worshiping our Creator. You know John 17, 3, Jesus prays it. This is the eternal life that they may know you. That's Psalm 100, verse 3, that we know God. We don't theorize and postulate and have academic speculation about God. We know Him. We know He's there. And He has changed everything in my life. Beloved, this is our prescription. This is our prescription for 2022. I didn't understand why the Lord wanted me to preach Psalm 100. Now I do. <laughs> and I'm thankful. I don't know if you're thankful, but I'm thankful. Uh, I needed to hear that message.